Do you have enough? Do we have enough? Good. I was worried. Don't plant those seeds today. <laughs> At least not outside. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if you were uh, worshiping with us uh, during the fall, you know, we started back in August a series on the Old Testament book of Numbers. And we had gotten up through uh, chapter 10 and uh, was beginning uh, chapter 11, right, as we hit the, the Advent season. And uh, so we took a break uh, for those weeks and looked at uh, four different, uh, actually five different portraits of uh, Jesus Christ. And, um, and the reason for that is, beginning in chapter 11, uh, for the next several weeks, as you'll see, uh, we're going to talk a lot, almost exclusively, about complaining. And what God thinks about complaining. And what's good complaining. What's not so good complaining. Like I said in the letter at the beginning of the bulletin, you know, every week I struggle to come up with something that applies to everyone. Then it's not a problem. Uh, in the providence of God, it was great today that we didn't have coffee before the 9 o'clock service. I stood at the back looking out the window, watching people coming up the stairs after dropping their kids off, looking at their phone, heading towards the coffee, get to where the coffee is, and they look up and they're like, complaining. <laughs> and, it, you know, it's only the coldest day of the year. And we didn't have any coffee at 9 o'clock. So it was awesome. It was so discouraging that I thought when I saw them finally bring it up as I was beginning the sermon, I thought I should dismiss everybody uh, to go get it because uh, it's uh, problematic if we don't have it. So we're going to look a lot at complaining. And listen, let me just say right off the bat that I know immediately a lot of you are thinking, great, I'm going to feel guilty. Some of you are thinking, well, wait. I, I know that my complaint is valid. And I know that my complaint is a good complaint. And I know that there's room in the scriptures for righteous complaining. Well, let me just say this at the outset, and this is where we're going to go over the next couple of weeks with this is, you're right. There are righteous complaints. Absolutely. Just as the scripture tells us, that there is a place and a time for righteous anger, right? My concern for us as we look at this and what God has to say to us as we think about this uh, over the next couple of weeks is, can we just bring a little discipline, a little godly discipline to our complaining? That's all I'm shooting for. <laughs> now, maybe, maybe I should shoot for something a little higher, but I know myself, uh, and I know you. And so my uh, goal in this is that we would hold up our complaints, our hearts, our desires uh, before the Lord and, uh, and, and look at, begin to look at them through his lens, right? Um, so let's, let me read to you uh, Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. This text is printed in the bulletin and it's also up on uh, the screens behind me. Uh, This is God's word, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. 
And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called, was called Taborah, which in Hebrew simply means burning, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. So uh, last weekend, uh, my uh, family, my wife in particular, dragged me to a um, outlet. And uh, the reason for this was uh, I, uh, she's concerned about my wardrobe. And uh, I, uh, uh, I really do not like buying clothes, really don't like it, and uh, find it uh, difficult, discouraging, and... Um, I'm one of those people, you know, there, there are people in the, you know, people buy things because of the pleasure center in their brains. Did you know that? That there, there are some people in the world who, who spend money and it gives them pleasure. I'm not like that. Honestly, it makes me anxious. I'm spending this whole time thinking about the two pair of pants I bought and how this is going to destroy us financially. <laughs> I actually have more pleasure, and saving money. I'm weird that way. And, I, and listen, I'm not prescribing that for anybody or anything because it's no fun to be with dad when dad is like, oh, we're going broke because he bought two pairs of pants, right? So, so that, that's no good. Well, we're, we're checking out, and so that's kind of my mindset as we're checking out, and the poor guy who's checking us out there at the cash register is trying to make conversation with us. And he says, so tell me, what are your New Year's resolutions? And my response to that was, well, frankly, I don't believe in resolutions. Oh, really? Nope. I believe they are a temptation to legalism. (laughs) This is the way to get through a checkout line quicker. (laughs) Right? And so he's this, you know, this is awkward and I know it's awkward. And those of you who know me know that I love awkward. And so I'm like, what's going to happen next? <laughs> right. <laughs> and so uh, I said, you know, if I were to resolve, I would resolve what, frankly, I resolve every morning uh, when I wake up. Two things. I want to repent more. And talk less. Lord help me to do that. And so he handed me the receipt. And we left. (laughs) Without another word. So I was able to keep part of my resolution. So. So the, so the, I tell you that uh, today because here's the temptation that we're going to look at as we spend some time thinking about complaining. And it's this. Some of you will be tempted this morning, those of you of tender conscience, will be tempted this morning as we think about this and over the next several weeks, because this is going to be a big theme, that as we look at this, that what you will be tempted to do is to think, you know what, I need to resolve to be less complaining. And there are people who will tell you that the pathway to become less of a complainer is gratefulness, cultivating gratefulness and thanksgiving. And that's a good thing. All of us should be more grateful. Please, all of you, 
be more grateful. The problem is, resolving to be more grateful as a pathway to limit your complaints won't work. And the reason why it won't work is, for instance, this morning, maybe you got here and we didn't have coffee. And so you complained. But then you came in here and you heard a sermon on not complaining. And you decided, you're right, I shouldn't complain. Until you go outside thinking, maybe they have the coffee made by now, and they don't. So if, if this is an issue for us that we are going to get over simply uh, through our willpower, uh, my expectation is we're doomed to failure. Secondly, there's another part of you who are not quite as of, of tender conscience, who are highly committed to complaining. In fact, uh, the Bible, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, all of those documents guarantee your right to complain. And frankly, if you lived my life, this is what we say, you would complain too. And so what you would say is that you look at these texts and these stories that we're going to look at over the next several weeks and say, that's for them. Their complaints were not valid. My complaints are valid. I will complain. The problem with that, and I don't have time to get into this this morning, but as you're sitting at home this afternoon doing whatever it is you do on Sunday afternoons and you run out of doing whatever it is you do on Sunday afternoons or the football game gets boring or you're, you're stuck inside, you can't stand to go outside in the cold anymore, whatever, pick up your Bible and open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which is the New Testament commentary on the section of Scripture that we're going to look at over the next several weeks. Because the Apostle Paul says that these stories about complaining were written for you. They're written for the church. They're written for us. Right? They're not simply recording something and we say, those, those ungrateful people out there in the wilderness, God was giving them manna, God was giving them water, and they complained. If that were me, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't complain. I'd be so grateful. Thank you. I am not a complainer. Or, or, you're going to scramble around to try to find a way to validate and confirm your complaints. Now, here's the thing. We will talk and we will get to. There are, there's plenty of room in the scripture for a kind of complaining. The problem is, for most of us, our complaining, as we will see, amounts to idolatry. We'll talk a little bit more about why that is. So let's, let's dig into the text, right? So the, the first thing that you, you have to see about this uh, is let's take a look back to kind of understand how we got here. Because at the end of chapter 10, for the, the first 10 chapters, you know, God has been preparing the people to move, right? So, and in fact, ever since Exodus 19, the Lord has been in a huddle, literally, with his people, uh, organizing them, teaching them, uh, giving them instructions about how to worship and how to live and, and how to order the camp and how to order the march and, and how to uh, build the tabernacle, to do all of those things, right? So through Moses, the Lord has taught them all they need to know to live wise and worshipful lives. They've been there at the foot of Mount Sinai for about 14 months. Right now, remember, these people 
were slaves before that in Egypt, had very little knowledge of this God who claimed them as his own, who came and delivered them, as the scriptures say, with a mighty arm. They did not know much about him. And so these 14 months were spent in him uh, patiently, carefully instructing them, talking to them, helping them come to grips with their new identity and the identity of this God who loved them, right? And so with his own care, the Lord has given his people water to drink and food to eat. So not only is he giving them uh, spiritual instruction, but he is also giving them uh, what they need day in and day out uh, uh, to live. So the Lord's carefully arranged the camp and the march and the tabernacle, all of that. All of that stuff is set out for them, right? Next slide, please, Megan. The Lord's delivered them from their oppressors in the past. And he's promised his strong presence to deliver them from any enemies in the future. And just in case there was any doubt about that, remember, he provides a cloud of cloud uh, uh, in the daytime that will go before them, that they can see, that will lead them. And a pillar of a, a cloud of fire uh, in, in the, uh, uh, at night, not only to guide them, not only to protect them, but so that these people who are barely understanding who God is, who are, are, are total neophytes at this, have a tangible, visible thing in their midst to say, there's a God. This God loves us. We belong to him. He is providing for us. He will care for us and he will lead us. Right. So he he wants them to know that he is with them, not just that he's leading them, not just that he's guiding them, not that he's just providing for them, but that he is present with them. And so after all of this time and energy and preparation, we read that they are now ready to set out on their journey to the promised land. And that's the thing that you have to remember about this is that all of these things that are going on are in the context of God taking these people from one place to the place that he had promised to give them, to get them there. They are a people on the move. That's what he's doing. Now, remember, the closing words of chapter 10 are Moses looking at the camp, seeing the clouds, getting ready to go and just being so moved. He says, arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered and let those hate, hate you flee before you. And so the end of chapter 10 tells us they travel for three days. The end of chapter 10. And what's the first thing in chapter 11? And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord. Now, people wonder sometimes whether the Bible's true or not. And they try to figure out ways to decide, is this true or not? Well, this accords with my understanding of people. This sounds like people I know. In fact, this sounds like the people I know the best, myself. That after three days of travel, where God has been leading them, where God has been with them, where he has taken care of them, where he has provided water and food for them. What's the first thing? In fact, the first three things as we look in the next several weeks that they do is they complain. And what's interesting about this is, as we'll see over the next several uh, weeks, is it's not just a group of people who complain. Before we're done with this, everybody, Moses, Aaron, all the leaders, everybody included in this is going to be guilty before God of their complaining. 
So this is something that's, that, that's universal. And like I said, I know that for all of us, that is where we live. That is, that is how we think about it, right? One of the things that I've been so convicted of this week is I, I take every degree below 70 as a personal insult. Okay. Literally. I'm like, you know, all right, this is enough. So I got up this morning and I thought, how bad can it be? Everybody's freaking out about this. I'm going to go out and get the newspaper, 5.30 this morning. I'll just wear a hat. I'll go out in my PJs because, you know, it's 5.30 in the morning. Nobody in my neighborhood's out. I'll go out there. How bad can it be? Oh. And what I realized about my complaining this week is that I don't like having all these layers on and and trying to touch and do fine motor skills with gloves. And I'm losing things because I can't feel them with my fingers because I'm wearing gloves and gloves just get in the way. But if I don't wear gloves, then the tips of my fingers begin to turn black. And that's a problem. Yet another reason to complain, right? And so, so what I re- realize about myself is that, you know, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, I am predisposed, predisposed to demand from God, not just that he care for me, not just that he provide for me, but that he does it in the way in which I prescribe which is why complaining is related to idolatry. Because the idol that I worship is not another God who will do this for me, but myself. Because I will demand how it is I will be cared for and how I will be provided for. Now, what's interesting to me about this text is, so the people, they, they marched for three days, and it says the people complained in the hearing of, of the Lord about their misfortunes. So when I saw that word misfortunes, I'm like, what is that? Why doesn't the text tell us? You know, something terrible happened. Something, something bad happened. They had the flu, or it was uh, zero degrees, or... Uh, something like that. Why aren't we told what the misfortunes are? And so I, I did a lot of study this week on what are the, because the text doesn't tell us what the misfortunes are. Now we know, as we'll read in a few weeks, that uh, they didn't like the manna. They got tired of the manna. They got tired of the water. They got tired of Moses. They got tired of, of all of these things. So, so those are kind of specific things. But what are the misfortunes? Well, the misfortunes that they are experiencing simply are the reality of living life in a world that's fallen, where it gets cold and you get uncomfortable, where your battery dies because it's cold, where where um, your uh, if you have a, a newer car, uh, when it gets cold, you go to crank it up and there's an alarm going off because your tires don't have enough air in them. I'd rather not know that. <laughs> right. These misfortunes are simply what it means to live in a fallen world. It is, it is living in a place where, where people disappoint you, where jobs disappoint you, where, where there are things that go wrong. 
And there are relationships that are strained and broken and there are difficulties and and things aren't exactly the way I want them to be. The misfortunes there are simply what it means to live in a world where where people die, where people get sick, where where you're tempted to be to be lonely or to be broken or to experience those sorts of things. So so the fact is what there's nothing in particular outstanding that's going on here. It's simply the fact that as God is providing day in, day out, and as he is leading them day in and day out, and they encounter the difficulties of living in, in, in a broken and fallen world, they grumble and complain. So whatever these misfortunes are that they are grumbling and complaining about, God apparently does not think much of them. Next slide. So what exactly is the problem? What is it, right? Because one of the things that we know is that that there are certain ways to deal with the brokenness and the fallenness in the world that, that, that God finds delightful. In fact, that you remember a couple of years ago, we did a sermon series out of Lamentations on Lament where we go to God in our sadness and our brokenness and we say, this is not right. This situation is messed up. I'm messed up. The people around me are messed up. I am struggling. I am in grief. I need help. God delights in that, right? And it's not even asking the Lord for help or healing or desiring God to do something. There are plenty of places in the scriptures where where things go wrong and the people of God cry out to him and say, help us, do something. We need your help. So it's not that. It's simply taking the provision and presence of God to be not enough to deal with and to live in the world where he's called us to live. It is seeking something or someone else where I can determine how it is that God is going to provide for me, how it is that God's going to uh, relate to me, how it is that God is going to do these things for me. One of the things that we'll note is, and we'll get to this next week, is uh, the people didn't like the manna. And we think, manna, that would have been awesome. 14 months. And then 40 years of the same thing. Now, some of you, I know, like a routine. You eat your raisin bran every single day, 365 days a year, 366 in leap years, and you're happy with that. But there are others. But, but see, what makes that strange is because you can get Cheerios. But if all you got is manna, and all you got is manna, and, and the ladies' auxiliary is not producing any good cookbooks on how to make the manna better, what might you do? Yeah. This manna. Mm, it's something. So, so what it is here is, is that it's a form of our demanding of God. Rather than going to him and saying, God, help us. It's God is lame because all he gives us is manna. Now, what's ironic about this is, is God's response. Now, we read this and we see that what happens is God is like, you know what? This is not right. And so he sends some fire around the edges of the camp, around the fridges of the camp uh, to get everybody's attention. Right. 
Now, what you have to see about this is, is that God's response is quite muted, really, and it's quite merciful and quite majestic because he sends the fire on the exterior parts of the camp. More than likely, what's on the fringes of the camp? That's stuff that's unclean. Most commentators, most people who study this believe that this fire did not, did not harm any, anybody. And that simply it was God's way of saying, hey, I hear you. I see what's going on here. And he, and he, he burns the outer edge of the camp to warn and refine his people. Now, now here's the thing you have to hear about that. And you think, well, that seems kind of harsh. Well, it's not harsh. It's love. Because what, what parent doesn't love their child enough to stop them from doing something and to, to intervene in a way that would get their attention to redirect them away from the path that they are following that would lead to death. And so this is a very, this is a very muted, very merciful thing. Uh, I remember as a kid, uh, I, I was a, uh, I, I, I enjoy risk taking and I like risk takers. And one of the ways that manifested itself when I was a child was, and my mother was the uh, recipient of this, is that I would take a risk to see how much I could sass, that's a North Carolina word, sass her, smart off at her, diss her, be disrespectful to her. She was an easy target because she loved me, right? That's the way we do it as kids, right? The people who love us the most, that we're most secure with, we'll challenge them the most. And so I would challenge her. And uh, what I, I would do that, and sometimes I would even be so risk-oriented to, uh, risk to do it in my father's presence, and what I noted about my dad, now my dad's very hard of hearing. For all my life, has been hard of hearing. So you could get away with a lot that he might not hear. But I remember a, a, a numerous times saying terrible things to my mom about dinner or about the house or about things like that. And then getting a response from my dad and thinking, uh-oh, I crossed the red line. Went a little too far that time. Uh-oh. There's a fire on the edge of the camp. Uh-oh. I need some help before that fire gets in here and sets me on fire. Uh-oh. He's stopping me before I go too far. Maybe I went too far. Thankfully, the fire is only on the edge of the camp and not on my body. Some of you have a fire burning right now on the edge of your camp because you're wandering. And God in his mercy has set a fire to get your attention to say, uh-oh, this God loves me. I need to stop. I need to repent. I need to rethink what I'm doing. It's mercy and an evidence of love when our God comes to us and says, this far and no further. In fact, and this is a severe mercy, sometimes 
God removes us from this world to prevent us from wandering in a place where we might mysteriously become irretrievable. And so God sees his people and he sees their temptation to to take all of this upon themselves. And so he burns some things around the edge of the camp to get them to cry out to him. Because you see, what you have to see about this is, is that in the wilderness, the people will consistently try to stop, not go where they're supposed to, war against one another. In fact, they'll be tempted to kill each other. And perhaps worse, as we'll see next week, they think, you know what? The manna is so bad. Let's go back and eat the food of bondage. It was better as slaves. It was better in Egypt. Although they cried out in their bondage, they were mistaken, maybe. And it would be better to go back and eat those garlics and those leeks and those salads and that fish that we ate in Egypt That's better than living as free people eating what God has provided for us. You see, what happens to us is is that our preferences in this are all wrong. And God in his mercy is slowly but surely going to correct these. So what's God to do? Would it be better if he just overlooked this and just allowed things to go on? You know, just allowed things to continue. Well, the the problem with this is they are just one step or two away from saying we're going to kill Moses and we're going to go back to Egypt. We've had enough. Because of the misfortunes, right? Because of the the effect of living uh, in a fallen uh, world. So God's not going to overlook this and let the people continue down the path. He's going to stop them in their tracks, right? So the people respond to God's warning and direction, and they cry out, and Moses intercedes. That's a great thing for us to see about this is, is that God provides, even in the midst of this, knowing us, knowing that we will complain, he provides someone to stand in the gap, to speak for us, to cry out for us. And I don't think the people are repenting. I think they're saying, "Uh uh-oh, we got caught. We need help. Moses, can you help us? And so Moses goes and he intercedes and he cries out to God. He lays his hand on the people and he lays his hand on God. He mediates between them. That should remind you of someone. That should remind you of Jesus Christ who steps into our world bearing the weight of our complaints and mediating and interceding on our behalf to keep the fire, the refining fire of God. He bears that totally on himself. So God's merciful in sending the fire to refine. But what's, a, what's amazing about that is, is that there's another day and another day and another day. God simply sends the fire. They cry out. And what happens? The sun comes up the next day and there's manna. God continues to provide. He continues to strive. He continues to seek. He continues to pursue people who complain against his provision and his very person and the way in which he deals with them. And yet that, even though he refines them and he sends things to stop them and to correct them, it does not keep him from striving after them. It does not keep him from loving him. It does not keep him from pursuing them. So there's another day and another day and another day. God never gives up. That is such good news. Such good news. He's merciful in using an intercessor and hearing. You see, that's one of the things that's so profound about this for us is that we have an intercessor in Jesus Christ who intercesses and mediates for us right now, even when you don't cry out. 
Even when you'd rather not cry out. He's still praying for you. He's still interceding for you. He's still mediating for you. And his sacrifice counts for you whether you value it or not. (coughs) Whether you would prefer to run your life your own way. If you're in Christ today, the fact of the matter is he continues in pursuing and working and interceding on your behalf. It is a mercy simply that life goes on and that God in his faithfulness continues to pursue us. That he continues to work and to love and to guide and to provide. You see, that's the way this works. God doesn't give up. He doesn't in vindictiveness say, you know what? I delivered those people. I saved them. I am taking them to the promised land. I'm done. He continues, he continues, and he will continue. Now, there'll be consequences, and there will be difficulties along the way. But praise God, these complainers don't keep God from doing and completing what he has willed to do and complete. And the same is true for us. Jesus Christ is relentless in his pursuit. He was relentless in his pursuit of the cross to die for us. And he is relentless in his pursuit of you and me and his people. We can trust him. Even when it seems that our complaining or the ones we know who are complaining are more powerful than him. No one's more powerful than him. He pursues. His love never fails, even if we experience that love in a severe mercy. He's that good. And so it's great for us today as we come to the Lord's table to be reminded of how much he cares for us by giving us things we can hold and taste and see and smell to remind us of his love, his sacrifice and his pursuit of us. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus. They did as he had directed them and prepared the Passover. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's confess our sins together by using uh, the prayer of confession that's in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. Father in heaven, forgive us for attempting to avoid you. We have fixed our eyes and our hope on ourselves instead of worshiping you. We indulge in our striving instead of trusting you. We indulge in our shame instead of resting in you. We indulge in grumbling and complaining instead of crying out to you. We have been given over to anxious isolation instead of following Jesus in his mission. Yet your compassions yearn over us. You hasten to our rescue. In the cross of Christ, we see that your love endured our curse. Your mercy bore our justice. 
Forgive us all of our sin and renew our hearts. Turn us back to you. Amen.